Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. It might not be Fulbright today, but as more as long as I can get super real with what I have in front of me and continue to stay focused on our manifesto and our core values, then the future is going to continue to just freaking shine so bright. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. I'm Josh Kopel, and on today's show, we chat with Steve Schwartz, founder of The Art of Tea, a bespoke tea company serving the hospitality community. If you're going to create a product, logic would dictate that you would want the masses to have access to it. But that's not the route Steve Schwartz went. He wanted his tea company to serve those that serve others. It's one of the foundational values that guides the art of tea. In today's tough economy, the companies that thrive will be culture-first companies. We begin with Steve explaining the roots of his company's culture. Find yourself a teacher, find yourself a friend. Tell me what that means to you. And where you wow. first heard it. Well, actually, the, the technical term is find yourself a teacher and acquire yourself a friend. So to acquire, you know, we might think that it means to actually buy yourself a friend. But to um, the the text from Pierre Caillabaud, it's an ancient text that relates back to, um, one, you have to have a mentor. So in my life, I've, um, I've been on my own since I was 14. So uh, finding mentors, finding people that are have gray hair, uh, have things that are uh, in their life that have they've been exposed to uh, where hopefully there's some lessons that they can share with me. And then acquire yourself a friend means like you got to go out of your comfort zone to find someone that you can learn with, you can grapple ideas with and really challenge you on, on your logic and your thinking, right? Because we have our blind spots. We're only visible to a certain amount. So you have to acquire that friendship. Can you talk to me about the most prominent mentors and friends in your life? Oh man, sure. Well, first of all, my kids, like I learned, I learned so much from them. Uh, so my, I have, I have three daughters. They're all under the age of uh, 15. Um, and just, they challenge me at, at, at a very raw sense. So I, I learn a lot from them. The second is, um, I have a coach. Uh, he's in his uh, mid seventies. I'm six foot four. I'm a pretty pretty big dude, and this he's taller than me and uh, significantly more gray hair than me, and just challenges my um, my belief. Now, now there's a difference between belief and reality, right? So if you throw an orange up in the air, you know that it's going to come down. There's no question. Reality that gravity is a reality. It's not a belief. So. Uh, if whatever I come into thinking this is for sure going to happen, I've almost always be cha- I'm almost always challenged on what feels like reality. Uh, that context being completely flipped on its head. So, um, a really great mentors and also a really great mentorship group, a group of other peers that I can surround myself with, uh, that I can grapple with ideas, challenge them. It's amazing how much I can learn from other people. Uh, that are in similar related businesses um, and they're sharing, they're experiencing sharing things that they're going through, their challenges, and through that friendship dialogue, able to really unpack 
meaningful lessons that I can uh, acquire before, uh, you know, any sort of stumbling blocks that might be in my way. So I don't actually run into them and share best practices to my, my, my team, to our customers and, and so on and so forth. Well, you needed the mentorship because you did have a rocky adolescence. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I grew up uh, in a, I'd say, you know, pretty perfect scenario up until the age of about 12. Um, you know, I, we had a beautiful house, we lived in um, a great neighborhood in Southern California, amazing neighbors. Um, and my parents were, were well off. I went to private school and, and then, um, then they had a nasty divorce, like really super nasty. And, you know, the, the kids had to fend for themselves. And so at the age 14, I remember, um, uh, you know, I, my parents sent me to go live with my brother, who was only 19, to go live with him in, in Arizona. And it was hot. It was like 120 degrees, no food, no money. Uh, so going from a living housekeeper, private school to nothing, and I remember calling my dad, I'm like, dad, can you send some money? Can you send something? I haven't eaten. And literally I was eating country crock and bread for over a month at that point. Um, and, and he said, do you live near a neighborhood? I said, yeah. He said, is there other uh, uh, houses in the neighborhood? I said, yeah. He said, okay, go knock on the doors of the houses and go see if you can do landscaping, if you can wash their windows, if you can clean their houses. And I, I didn't know how to do any of that, but, like, are you serious? He said, yep, and hung up. So um, I started knocking on doors. And the first door, to, it was a super cute girl. Um, and so it was pretty embarrassing being a 14-year-old kid and asking some girl, hey, can I clean your guys' house? But anyway, after a few houses and lots of rejections, this older couple took me in. I was like, sure, you can, you can clean our house. But it got, it, it got me really scrappy very quickly. Um, and I saw it as a challenge. It was like, all right, you know what? This is a phase. This is a period of time where I hopefully, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but even at the age 14, I was like, what lessons am I going to share with my kids and, and people that when I'm significantly older, I'm 82 now, I drink lots of tea. So I look, I look amazing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid forties. But, um, when I was, when I was that age, I was thinking, okay, this is a lesson what can I do? Like, how can I see this as an adventure and, and get through this period of time? So, well, you started, your entrepre- you started your entrepreneurial journey young. You started yeah. it at 19, right? Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm impressed that you, uh, I'm impressed that you know that. So, um, one of the things that I did at 19 was actually, um, we were, we started throwing gatherings, like digital gatherings, electronic gatherings in the middle of the desert with, uh, with two, uh, uh, two other friends of mine. And this is without, um, without funds, without, we just, we gathered a little bit of money for flyers. We got some DJs from Chicago and New York and LA, and we got these big gatherings. And one of the first things that we did was we created smart bars. So we didn't want to sell alcohol. We didn't go that, we didn't want to go that route. So we, we took vitamins and supplements and, um, herbs and botanicals and started making what we call smart bars. And, uh, it was a way for, for, um, people to be able to enjoy something that was really healthy and energizing uh, that was completely legal and, and good for you rather than, you know, going, going the other route. So that was fun. And it was profitable. It was great. It was like, we tried something with very little scrappy resources and it ended up being super lucrative in a very short period of time. So that was one of our first adventures. 
And then walk me, walk me from there to the journey to T. So um, I got a full paid scholarship after high school to go to, um, to go to college. And um, my first year, my mom got diagnosed with brain cancer. So I moved from Arizona to go live with her. Um, and I took care of her for 10 months until she passed. And I mean, literally everything you could imagine in terms of taking care of someone. Um, and the whole time we were just on Western medicine. So it was like going from one doctor to another doctor. And we didn't quite know exactly what was the right treatment. And they weren't really sure what was the right treatment. But eventually she passed. Um, and it really sort of woke me up um, in thinking that, gosh, cancer must have been around for thousands of years. We only, we only just recently labeled it as cancer. So um, I, I wanted to learn uh, if there was other cultures or other ancient healing modalities out there um, that incorporated cancer, maybe not calling it cancer, but calling it something else. So um, started learning about Chinese medicine, but I didn't want to stick needles in people. Started learning about Western medicine, but I, I didn't want to be a doctor. Started learning about herbology, but I didn't want to necessarily go that path. But I found this one school called the Ayurvedic Institute in New Mexico, and it incorporated everything. It was Western and Eastern medicine, but had its roots, roots firmly planted in, uh, in India, in Ayurvedic medicine. And there I just, I dove into my studies and really fell in love with the alchemy of blending herbs and teas and botanicals. In fact, I was chosen as the only student advanced enough to work with the masters at my school and how to blend and source um, and that was before the internet really took off. So it was like looking at old Indian phone books in terms of sourcing and, you know, faxing people. And, and I remember I was on a phone call with uh, one supplier and I needed to order some ginkgo. Granted, I'm like 21, right? And I'm like, I need to order some ginkgo. And this is like a dollar something a minute. So I, I needed a call to be kind of quick. And I had some attitude because I was a young kind of cocky kid. And He's like, sir, would you like ginkgo growing on an eastern slope or a western slope next to a river? <laughs> and he's like, dude, it doesn't matter. I just need ginkgo. And he said, no, sir, I'm sorry. It does matter. And you need to come here yourself and experience it. So I was intrigued. I saved my money. I worked four different jobs. I got a backpack. And I started traveling around the world to find the best teas and botanicals possible. So I had no idea that I was going to start a tea company. I just knew that I was a huge tea nerd, really into, you know, wanting to understand terroir and soil conditions and elevation and different varietals. And I kept going back to origin and started bringing stuff back for friends and family and started blending in my living room and peddling my teas to different restaurants and hotels and soon caught the attention of Wolfgang Puck and um, Shutters on the Beach Hotel and uh, trained uh, the first tea sommelier in the U.S. at Caesar's Palace, and it just sort of grew from there. And uh, so, really, as a passion for blending, and and um, some of these hotels, like would um, like Peninsula in Tokyo, they said, "Hey, we have this cherry blossom season coming up. Can you create this cherry blossom blend for us?" So, really tackling and having fun with whether it's you know the context of the location or the, you know natural topography, like the Getty Museum and Malibu using the native plants that grow wild along Malibu and foraging them and, and adding those within a blend that we create for them. So it's it's really become, thank, thank goodness, just a really fun passion project that has provided jobs and uh, an opportunity to service the hospitality industry, which I, I just love. Well, and that was going to be my next question. Why, why focus on the hospitality industry? 
Great question. So I spent two years, I'm sorry, about two years ago, I spent two days in nature with my wife's permission to go off and really think about why we exist as a company and created our manifesto. And our manifesto is sort of a blend between uh, a mission and a vision statement wrapped up in one. And I really had to get clear on who we are, who is our customer and who is our customer's customer. And, and and how you know you're into Joseph Campbell? What does that hero's journey look like, right? So we're not uh, Luke Skywalker, but rather you know what can we be to be Yoda, really guiding Luke Skywalker? So the the restaurant owner, the GM, the um, uh, the chef that's really into the passion of their food, what can we do to really help guide them in terms of tea? Because they might know a lot about um, their coffee, or the, they might know a lot about their wine selection, but when it comes to tea they may be fumbling a little bit. So we come in and I, I love the education piece. Um, and so being able to piggyback on our manifesto, which has a clear delineation, delineation on who we serve and who we don't serve. And, and uh, in it, you know, we, we, we clearly state that we're creating a movement against uh, um, big tea companies with endless budgets and uh, not wanting to um, serve shitty tea. To, uh, to supermarkets. So I love supermarkets, don't get me wrong. It's just, we believe that we should serve the freshest and best tea possible. And that's not gonna sit on a supermarket shelf. I guess building off the idea of a manifesto, um, you have a company that, that is foundationally built on core values. Mm. And I can imagine if there was ever a time to live those core values, it's now. Talk oh, to dude. me about, yeah. talk to me about like all of your core values, how you guys live them how that's changed or, or grown in light of the pandemic? Awesome question. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean on two professionals within the hospitality space or one, an organization. So the Ritz Carlton, you ask any employee, why do they work there? And they'll most likely pull out their credo, right? Like here's why we exist. And here's why I come to work. I could be a bartender anywhere, but I'm deliberately choosing to be here to make an impact. Um, and any Ritz Carlton around the world, they are, all in alignment with what core value or what credo they're reviewing that particular day or that particular week, whether you're landscaping or you're sweeping floors or you're making a meal um, or welcoming your guests. The others are uh, currently I'm reading Peak by Chip Connolly. Uh, fantastic, fantastic listen to, Great, fantastic read. Um, and he talks about how during the peaks and valleys, the one thing that really kept him going was, was his core values. So, um, Especially now, I mean, there it, it's there are opportunities for employees to potentially even make more money not working than working. So we have to be super clear on our impact and link that with our core values and how we're showing up for um, our citizens, for our country, for the restaurants that we work with, the hospitality spaces that we work with. So what we do in terms of cadence is on a weekly basis as a leadership team, and then that breaks out into our um, different departments, uh, we review our core values. And originally we had like eight core values and it was challenging for us to you know, review them and like, uh, but we had to get really myopic on our core values. How do we hire based on our core values? How do we fire based on the core values? Not just our employees, but our customers as well. If there's a certain customer that doesn't necessarily resonate with our core values, we really have to think is, is it worth us keeping being kept up at night because they don't actually show alignment, right? So our core values is an acronym. It's I care, impact, culture, 
accountability, results, excellence. So all those, and what we do as a leadership team is we review a different core value each week. And we ask a simple question, how does impact, for example, show up at Art of Team? And we come to the table with like, well, you know, so-and-so on our team, this out showed up, or hey, we got this great customer uh, feedback, or wow, as a department, you know, we really crushed it on impact. Um, so we review them. And during this hard time of COVID-19, reviewing our core values and living and breathing our core values, the goals that we're setting in this new norm, have to link back to our, our core values. It has to have that, that why really deeply embedded into who we are, why we exist, and the overall impact that we want to make in this world. We're here for a short time. You know, what are we going to do with it? As, as I think about the time that I may be on my deathbed and when I'm 120 years old, am I going to look back on COVID-19 and think, man, I, I fucking just crushed it. I, I really made the most of this opportunity or I inspired people to live a better life. Or am I going to think, man, I should have, or I could have. And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live as purposeful of a life as possible and hopefully inspire the team and the customers around us to really drive that impact. Well, and, and I'm sure there's there's been some pivot in the business since uh, since Dude, the yeah. pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about that because I, I know you're really light on your feet and I know you guys have been putting in a lot of work. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we have to be nimble and creative, but still staying, still staying totally true to who we are and what we have to offer. So 80% of our business is hospitality. Um, and... Um, I'm reading some stats that, you know, a third of businesses in the hospitality space just will not come back. A third will come back barely surviving and a third are just going to thrive. Right. Um, so what can we do to support, um, the multiple spectrum of businesses that are here? It, anyone that works in the hospitality space is there because they love what they absolutely do. Right. Um, and so we've had a pivot on a, f on a few different scenarios. So one way that we're doing it is um, we're, we're literally acting as a conduit. So I'm, I'm challenging my sales and marketing team to not call our customers and say, hey, order tea. It's never, we've never had a hard sell in general, but what can we do to find out from the customers that are succeeding, that are growing, how can we, with the customer's permission, how can we leverage what they're doing that's working really well and broadcast that out to customers that are looking for best practice. So we're seeing ourselves as a conduit for improvement, as a conduit for change, as a conduit for um, ways of having a great solid North Star and moving in that direction. And so depending on the restaurant or the cafe or whatever it might be that's struggling, we're, we're sharing this best practice. Um, and the other thing is a friend of mine has a bunch of um, uh, oil change businesses throughout um, uh, throughout the state. And one of the things that he mentioned was, I don't know, it, you know, in the past, he said that governments would come in and, and they would say, you can't put the sign out. You can't put these flags out, these banners out. Um, and he said, I don't know any local government that's now going to come in and tell you how to market your business. Right. For like sure. That's that's chutzpah. So like, who's going to, who's going to do that? So he's like, we're going out, we're being much more guerrilla in terms of our marketing. And so we're throwing different ideas up against the wall. And one thing that we're doing, we're working on is 
iced tea has been a over 85% of all the tea that's sold in the U.S. is iced tea. And we sell iced tea in these beautiful packets. We've won awards for iced teas that's fresh brewed, but we've never bottled. So now we're, we're playing with the idea of what if we bottle the iced tea and we make like, you know, fun renditions of the Arnold Palmer and, and bottle iced tea. And we sell that to restaurants or direct to consumer um, people that are used to getting our iced tea and, and make an impact in that way. So that way, people that want a fresh and, and um, clean bottle of iced tea, they can still get it, um, but it's portion packed for, for the restaurants that are offering to go. I want that so bad. Make that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Dude, it's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> you know, I, I would be a liar if I didn't say that I struggle with fear on a regular basis. I was a Michelin-rated restaurant tour six weeks ago. that's awesome and now i'm currently unemployed um and you know how how times have changed and i'm incredibly hopeful for my own life that that i will be able to rebound i will be able to reopen the restaurant um and though things won't go back to the way they were hopefully they they turn out better you know i i'm wondering how you're managing the fear that you're experiencing they say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. If it freaks me out and gets me excited at the same time, then I got to move forward with full speed. I got to lean into it, get ready to fail and fuck up and fall, but get right back up and keep going. So if I allow fear to be, first of all, I thank fear. Like, okay, like a large portion of our brain is built on survival. And then there's this outer layer that's geared towards upper level thinking. So I thank my brain for allowing me to see the fear. And um, then I push and I really lean in hard and strong into what can I do to utilize that fear, go to a worst case scenario, like this is that fear is going to take me to total failure, right? Okay, then what's the backup plan that I can do to prevent total failure? And it also goes back to North Star. I'm really clear with like our overall impact and realize we got to hunker down right now um, and and make it through this storm and get super scrappy and creative. Then I'll know that within two years or three years or whatever that right period of time might be that we're going to come out extremely strong. Hopefully it's a month, right? But we have to, we have um, plans for what this means to live in this period of time from now till um, uh, August from now till, uh, December. So those are the two cadences that we're working with right now. Um, and, and we're reviewing it on a daily basis. We're looking at our KPIs. We're looking at our, our daily output. We're, we're looking at, um, also, and all sorts of resources, but seeing reality for exactly what it is without judgment, without criticism, just being very clear on, our wins and our losses, and then embracing the momentum as much as possible. I don't know if that helps. That's definitely what's what's working for me right now. <laughs> no, I, I, I resonate with a bunch of that. Um, you know, an interesting thought that I had recently, and I actually shared with you prior to the interview, is, you know, you watch on the news and they say this is an unprecedented time in, in the history of man. And, and I believe that that's true. But as an entrepreneur, you know, we're staring into the abyss with regularity. And 
for many of us, myself included, this isn't the first time I've ended up back at <laughs> zero, you know? Um, and, and I've gotten through it and I've always ended up better off than I was before. And do you have a story of, of a time that you were back to zero time of, of struggle and, and overcoming that struggle? Multiple times. Um, but, uh, I think each one has, has been, and I'm a huge fan of Ray Dalio, right? So, uh, uh, the way he sort of paints each challenge as, it as an opportunity to reflect and pivot and then lean on the people around you that you you trust and advise to be able to really grow past it. So um, the, just going back to my time with, with my mom, I mean, I, I went from fully taking care of my mom to a vacuum getting created uh, where, uh, I, you know, I realized that I was actually sleeping with my eyes open for a few months after my mom passed. And the level of stress that I was uh, encountering was, was was just huge. So I had to figure out a way to develop a ritual to create a routine, and then also share that ritual and routine with a wider variety of people. And that's where I really also fell in love with tea, because tea is doesn't matter what age, what uh, demographic, what gender, uh, religion you are. Tea can provide that sense of solace, can provide that sense of joy and ritual, very modern day ritual. You don't need all the different, you know, accoutrements that can come with it. You can just, it just leaves in water. Um, but knowing that I have that routine of enjoying tea, even with my, my kids, my, my wife at the end of the day, just sitting down and having a pot of tea, it just sort of, it, all the adaptation, like qualities within tea, take the frayed thoughts of the mind and frayed emotions and just gets you to really get myopic and hone in and tune in with each other. The other thing that I do is a digital detox once a week. I, I turn my phone off completely uh, and uh, my computer and everything off for one full one full day. And I've been doing this since my daughter was, my first daughter was born and it was hard. At first it was like, all right, we're not going to, so she's, you know, almost 15. And so it was, uh, you know, first we're not going to answer the phone. And then it was like, okay, we're not going to text. Uh, and then it was like, okay, now we're going to completely shut off. But I got to tell you, just doing that allows the senses, allows your body to just fully recharge. It, you know, if I were to ask you, Josh, to fully exhale as much as possible, give it all you got, exhale, exhale, because medical research shows that if you exhale for a really long period of time, it's going to help you live longer. It's going to help you feel better. Like, great. You can, that's awesome. But you can only exhale a certain amount of time. And that's sort of what we're doing. We're like, I'm trying everything. I'm doing everything, but you know, is this going to work? eventually you're going to have to inhale. And I think we also have to be super receptive and open and, and draw in as much life force and, and, and breath as we can in order for us to continue to give to the community, to our, our restaurants, to our loved ones, to ourselves as much as we can as well. What do you see the future looking like for all of us? Super bright. Yeah, super bright. But, you know, it's it's going to be rough. It's if, if we are built of a machine, what you're looking at is a, you know, millions, if not billions of years of development that has created the humans that, that we are today. And um, we are bound to be fully deconstructed and repurposed to, you know, the, the energy transfer of our bodies and knowledge and wisdom to other people. So we will, we will break down but a new beginning and a new sense of ourselves, a, 
you know, I remember after my mom passed, I got chicken pox for the second time. And at that point in time, like it was believed that you only get chicken pox once, but it was sort of, I saw it as like a new skin that was being developed. So I, I'm really trying to see every day as a new opportunity for, okay, what, what can I learn and what can I do to grow and improve and also improve the lives around me? So I, it might not be Fulbright today, but as more, as long as I can get super real with what I have in front of me and continue to stay focused on our manifesto and our core values, then the future is going to continue to just freaking shine so bright. I'm wondering if through this platform, there's anything you would like to say to the industry at large? First of all, thank you for the opportunity for allowing me to um, have the platform to be able to connect with people that are in the hospitality industry. I would not give up on the hospitality industry. Um, I would not um, uh, go completely to the dark side and say that it's never going to exist again. I think that it will exist in a much brighter and more beautiful and much more refined way. Um, leaning on our distributor in Singapore in terms of what their experience has been like, because they've gone through these peaks and valleys and they're saying, something that we haven't experienced here yet, which is like, Steve, it's awesome now. Like people are out, they're buying, they're shopping. We're social creatures. We want to be able to go out and be taken care of. We want to be able to go into a, a space where people are making a beverage or a dish specifically. Um, they're, they're making it specifically for us. We want to be nurtured in this way. So trust that it is built into our ethos. Um, I'm a little biased because, you know, tea is, from my understanding and the research and the history I've read, is the first hospitality venues were actually tea houses. Uh, people would stop, they'd have a greasy dim sum and then tea to cut through that grease. And so as the Wayfair travelers would come along, uh, they would need that restorative broth uh, to renew the senses. So this timeless leaves and water through camellia sinensis through tea can add so much to the hospitality space. But just know that we're going to get back there, and it's going to be, it's going to be great. Where can people find you online? Artitee.com. And if you want to up your tea game, we just launched a Become a Tea Expert series. Uh, it's a full series on how to taste tea, how to understand origin and craft. Um, so my years of traveling, meeting, and working with the different farmers from all over the world, and what we do, and how we craft our teas here in LA, um, we're sharing that wisdom. It's free now till may 15th um so had over a thousand people sign up in just a few days and would love just um our kindred spirits in the hospitality space to be able to uh, take an opportunity with this course as well that's steve schwartz founder of the art of tea if you're interested in his products or in becoming a tea expert go to theartoftea.com If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.